from Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 168. Today's show is brought to you by Hover, Squarespace, and Eero. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Federico Vitici. Ciao, Federico. Hello, fellow European Mike Hurley. Uh, well, we have a date now, so, you know, it's not uh, forever. Uh, well, not for long. Uh, hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello from the new world. <laughs> Oh, What's, happening today? <laughs> What's happening today? I don't want to talk about any of this anymore. Um, mm. I know, Stephen, you wanted me to report in for follow-up today about my bumper case, um, my in-case yes. frame. It hasn't arrived yet. Um, wow. It's on the way. Uh, I don't know why this this it seems to be taking an exceedingly long time like to arrive. handcrafted just for you. I guess so. Just, just, um, mm. But I did want to say that I am now using the silicone case full-time on okay. my iPhone. Um, okay. In hopes to try and cure what is my current crippling RSI that I have, um, which I am believing is is partly due to the way that I was holding the new iPhone. Um, I think there are there are lots of mitigating factors for this, but I'm thinking it might improve my grip because previously I realized I picked up my my iPhone Plus and I picked up my iPhone 10 and I tried to look at the way I was holding them both to try and work out as well as the multitasking gestures, which I think is part of it. Like what else could have changed for me? And I realized that with my iPhone 10, I would hold I would hold the phone on both sides and use it, right? So like I would be holding it, gripping it in my hand. But on the Plus, I couldn't do that. So what I used to do is have this kind of, I basically just balance the phone in my hand. So what I've done is I've put the silicone case on my iPhone 10. That now makes it too big to grip. So it's kind of in balancing. I'll report back as if this makes any difference because right now, I haven't had any differences. Um, and actually today I haven't touched my iPhone at all because uh, currently it is the devil phone. I think that the the thumb swiping up gestures uh, are, are part of the problem for me. But yeah, I think like me. the overall grip has been bad too. So uh, mm. I'm trying to do some stuff. Um, otherwise, I'll probably be living that assistive touch lifestyle is probably where I'll have to end up oh, going. Man. But I hope... Well, I mean, like if I can't mm. use the gestures because of the pain they cause me um what am i going to do like i don't want to not use this phone so i would at that point just move to assistive touch i've already set it up and just played with it for a little bit and whilst it is obviously frustrating i think i could get used to that so mm-hmm. that's kind of where i am yeah, yeah. The, I'm- the, the the thumb swipe up definitely bothers me i had a lot of tension in my right thumb uh, the first several days. It is getting better. It's still sort of lingering. And like uh, last night, due to a bunch of reasons, I was on my phone for a long time. And by the time I went to bed, I was like, okay, like my hand is, is bothering me a little bit. But just a lot of new stuff to get used to. Uh, but I'm really sorry you're having trouble. I know that's... Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm I've an extreme case there. with it's, this right now. Like it's like not just yeah. my thumbs, it's my wrists, my elbows and my whole hands on both hands. I don't know. What's, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, and I think that the iPhone is just a part of it. So I'm hoping it will pass. This does happen to me. This isn't the first time that I've had a flare up like this. Um, but yeah. unfortunately, the iPhone has kind of been caught in the crossfire is what yeah. I'm thinking. I'm sorry, buddy. That's okay. Uh, it I can deal with it. Uh, so let's talk about the re- some more reason for pain, both physical and I'm going to say psychological with the with the new iPhone, and that is the placement of control center. We spoke a little bit about this last week, um, but I finally got around to writing a thing about it, and uh, I included um, some ideas on maybe how Apple could improve it, including just sticking it in multitasking, which uh, there is some evidence that that is what 
uh, Apple was experimenting with from uh, Mr. Rambo on Twitter. I'm curious what the two of you think about this. Have you gotten used to Control Center being where it is? Is it too far away for you and your and your your hands? Um, mm. How how are y'all coming down on this? So I can I can use it. Um, my uh, I tend to use my iPhone with my left hand. This is something that I didn't pay attention until I got the iPhone 10. But it seems that I'm left-handed just for the iPhone. And mm. with my thumb, I can reach the top right corner. But I also think it's totally wrong and it should be part of the app switcher. Not exactly as it is on the iPad. I'm not sure uh, if Apple wants to bring some consistency or if if there need to be some differences between the iPhone and the iPad. Because I think we're in a strange situation here where... For years, we've been sort of lamenting the fact that the iPhone, that the iPad was copying the iPhone UI, and now we're at the stage where we're kind of wishing that the iPhone was more like the iPad, sort of like the inverse <laughs> situation. I'm not right. sure what the best solution is, but I know for sure that swiping down from that tiny corner of the uh, what would be the status bar, um, it's not definitely the most the, the the best that Apple could do, and the fact that so many people. Uh, seem to think that it's also not so convenient. I think Apple will definitely change uh, change the the way that you bring up Control Center. I think it should be part of the app switcher. I think you should be able to swipe up and pause or whatever that Apple prefers to to open the standard app switcher. But I think on the right, yeah, there should be Control Center. And maybe there could be a way that you swipe up and then immediately go to the left. So you don't need to swipe up, pause, then scroll. It could be like mm-hmm. a single smooth gesture. Uh, I think there's potential to do that, but I think I can use it, but it should be in a different position. I think you can... I think that it's very possible to just put it all in the one multitasking screen. Like, the app cards do not need to be as big as they are. Like, it's not yeah. required. They yeah. could be way smaller with the icons being a little bit bigger. And then you could have all of the controls just like around the borders. Like it's fine. Yeah. Like control center is already like a big puzzle mess right now, which I love. But like that UI is not like mega elegant. It is functional. Mm-hmm. So I think we we refer to it. I think uh, back in June as controlled chaos. In yeah. A way. Exactly. And uh, so you may as well just put it all in the one screen. Like it's not it's not great. And it looks like Apple were at least considering something like this, right? Like as Stephen pointed out, um, that a good friend Rambo found like a, uh, friend of the show is at underscore inside on, uh, on Twitter found like a demo video, like from like a tips app or something where it seemed like originally just doing the swipe up was, uh, act the first screen that you'd see in multitasking was control center. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think that's the right way to do it from a UI perspective, but I think that there's a way to combine all of that stuff together. Like I have gotten used to control center being where it is, but I still know I don't like it. Right. Like I know mm-hmm. if it's, I, I know it's the wrong place for it, but yeah, I, and, you know, and there are some other, uh, possibilities. Uh, I, I talked about, you could, 3d touch on the home indicator and maybe it could it could bring it up that would also work on the lock screen so part of this is it's got to work on the lock screen as well and of course swipe up is taken on the lock screen uh to unlock the phone and so you got to think about both places but kind of where i left it was it's in the wrong place i have some other ideas but i'm not uh, i think i think the term i came up with was fancy pants california designer like they're smart people they can work this out uh and i from from Twitter reactions to the piece, most people agree with us that it, that it it's not ideal the way it is now. Uh, some people just mocked me for having small hands or for not giving enough time, whatever. But it's um 
it's something that I think Apple should should address. And <laughs> but it seems like they're doubling down. So in the the new 11.2 developer beta that dropped yesterday, the public beta will probably be out today. There is a a little indication uh, on the right ear that Control Center is up there, and uh, nine to five, and everyone is reporting this is new. But when you first set up your iPhone 10, the first time you're on the lock screen, uh, you actually get this little indication on the lock screen in the upper right-hand corner. You get the control center icon showing you that that's where it is. So this isn't completely new. Apple has had a little indication there at the beginning. This seems just to be a little bit different take on it. But they're they're trying to show people where it is. And I I understand that like conceptually why it is here, right? You pull down on the little cell service and battery and Wi-Fi little uh, images, and then you get to control those things. Like Conceptually, it's very nice. It's just in the wrong place. It's just hard to reach for a lot of users. So we'll see what Apple does. Right now, they're, it seems like they're just making it more apparent to users who may not know where Control Center went, uh, where it is. But uh, I would hope that they hear the feedback because it seems pretty universal uh, or at least the majority of, of iPhone 10 users I've heard from uh, agree with us. I don't expect to change in iOS 11. I don't either. Mm, yeah. Because I, nope. I think there's going to be bigger changes in iOS 12 from a UI perspective anyway, so they'll just mm-hmm. they'll just wrap it up in there. Um, this new beta, the 11.2 beta 3, also enabled the 7.5 watt Qi charging, which we were talking mm-hmm. about either last week or the week before, that there was a the ability for Apple to to take advantage of 7.5 watt charging rather than the 5 watt charging that they're currently using mm-hmm. from uh, Qi chargers. So supported uh, devices, I think all of the, the two that Apple are selling, the Mophie Wireless and the Belkin Boost Up, they will work with this. So I think there yeah. has to be some pairing between them. Um, and Apple said that they would enable it in software and it looks like 11.2 will get that. So you can do the faster charging via the 7.5 uh, watt method uh, if you have mm-hmm. one of the supported chargers once this drops. Yeah, and if if you if you don't, it's a little confusing. So I've got one of the Samsung one out here in my office, and uh, it supports fast charging on Android phones. Um, and it it's, I mean, assumingly it would work on the phone. I don't know. I guess when the new public beta comes on, I'll see if I've noticed it to be any faster. But uh, the Mophie I have inside definitely will. So I'm excited about that. But um, you know, uh, even at five watts, like it, just out here, like on the desk, it's you know. It's fine, but it'll be nice to be be faster when you need it. This is still not the maximum wattage that phones can do, though, right? Like the Android, no, a bunch no, of no, Android no. phones no. do fifteen, but it yeah. looks like the iPhone ten is going to max, and I guess the eight as well uh, will max out seven point five. Fifteen for Qi charging on yeah. Android. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. That's what the, you know. You get those the Samsung phones or whatever, and they just charge up mega mega quickly. It's that's because nice. it takes the fifteen watt. Which is still now, which is still now USB-C power delivery speed nope. um, or power, you know, um, wattage. But it's nice. I mean, um, I, I considered uh, putting the beta back on my iPhone uh, again. I used to have the beta on my iPad and the iPhone. Uh, then I kind of went back to the stable one because I had some issues with the dock on iOS 11. Um, and I considered today maybe I should go back to putting 11.2 on my iPhone. But I mean, it's fine. I got a bunch of USB-C chargers here and. Uh, when I want fast charging, uh, right now I'm fine with the cable, and I'm using the boost up primarily when I'm uh, on the nightstand when we're watching a movie or a TV show, and I want to quickly top up my iPhone be- before I 
you know, listen to some music or read a book and want some, you know, my Brain FM, fancy <laughs> brain audio What app. is it, the neural network music, the, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want my iPhone to be charged, to be, you know, to have like at least 50% a night because I fall asleep with that kind of audio going on or I read articles with that uh, focus type of music. It's not really music, it's a bunch of sounds. But I want my iPhone to be charged at night. So I'm using the boost up on my nightstand and I don't really need the fast charging, but that's going to be nice when the 11.2 ships. Point, mm-hmm. Yeah, point 0.2, 11.2, not point 0.3. I wonder when point 0.3 will, will go out because Apple seems to be really fast with these betas and this iOS 11 release cycle this year. And I wonder what kind of feature we're going to get in 11.3. HomePod support? Hmm. Yeah, the, but the, home, the HomePod is supposed to be shipping like next month it's not I don't think it's gonna I, I oh think, you don't think it's gonna no I think 2018 huh. uh, th- there's no way they miss Christmas he but, said no but it's too late for, for a future follow up <laughs> December's too late for Christmas like, like if you wanna if you wanna do the holiday season December's not the time to release a product I mean it's not November but it's a hell of a lot better than January I think they'll I think they'll make it but um <laughs> December 29th <laughs> whatever they'll make it I have faith we'll see we'll see uh Year of pessimism from Mike. Hey, no, uh, wh- it's not just it's whatever, like product releases, and it's not even that important. Like, really, HomePod is not actually that important. Yeah. So it's, I just don't, no. I just don't <laughs> see it. Like, the iPhone has been taken center stage. They got a lot of stuff going on. Like, do I think that the that the iMac and the HomePod could move? Yeah, I do think they could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have one quick comment about the um, the case situation that I have going on here. So I think I mentioned on the show that I ordered a Spigen case, uh, the like the see-through super thin case, and it turns out that it was basically making the grip situation worse because uh, the glass is the glass of the iPhone 10 is actually grippier than the smooth plastic of this case. So I ordered um, because my iPhone 10 already uh, sort of slipped out of my pocket twice. No. Um, yeah, oh, so yeah. I ordered the Apple silicon case. I have a black one right here. Uh, all these cases work with the Qi charging, so it's fine. Uh, the The Apple case does sort of remove the effect of holding this beautiful glass it object. Does, doesn't because it? Mm. It, it, it kind of sort of dampens the, the excitement of mm-hmm. holding the iPhone X, but I also don't want to end up with a broken iPhone X. Yeah. And as long as, the, you know, at the bottom, it doesn't interfere with swiping from the bottom edge because it doesn't cover the the bezel uh, of what's left of the bezel on the bottom edge it only covers the sides uh and it does you know it sort of breaks the illusion a little bit but it's fine i don't want to have a broken broken iphone 10 i was thinking about this right this i was going through this exact same thought like the illusion will fade away and and then Mm -hmm. it'll just become the phone again and I would cons- i would like my phone to continue working past that point i have and again (laughs) we all have apple care plus i just don't i still just don't want to have to go through it so yeah, because you, it's gonna be sad anyway. Even if you have Apple Care Plus, you're still gonna break your iPhone. I, really I mean, just it's don't like if you have like having insurance on your car doesn't mean it's fine to get into an accident. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> I drive my eyes closed. I have insurance. <laughs> it's fine. I have insurance. Whatever. No, it doesn't work like that. There was uh, there was one more note before before we move on about Control Center that uh, somebody brought up in the chat room. The iPhone 10 has those those 3D touch shortcuts on the lock screen for flashlight and camera, which I actually really like. It's great to launch the camera quickly. Uh, it's 
those aren't on the the iPhone 8 or, or previous phones, I think is a concession that Control Center is too far away <laughs> if you need mm-hmm. flashlight and camera. Uh, and those are the two things you want really quickly, then just put them on the lock screen. Uh, that's an that's an okay trade-off on the lock screen. Like I said, I'm using those and, and I like it. I don't really have the desire to customize them, though I, I've heard from some people who would like to swap out flashlight with something else, for example. But it's... um. It's kind of Apple meeting users halfway. Like, okay, these are maybe the two most common things in Control Center. And, you know, uh, here you go. But uh, I still think they they got work to do. Yeah, I've seen people say that, like, oh, what if we can do that clicking thing, why don't we just do, like, a 3D touch on the home indicator to bring up Control Center or multitasking? The reason that you shouldn't do that is because I will then be clicking that constantly to go to home again. Like, it will be super easy to slide back into that old idea, right? Like, if I now have a pod that I can click. I mean, let alone the fact that you will always activate a UI thing in an application that you don't mean to, and you'll never actually really get the mm-hmm. your finger right over the right place. But if I have to start clicking again on the, on a something right in the middle of the screen, I'm going to be doing it constantly, and it's not going to be giving me what I want. I don't yeah, think that's also- the right idea. If you press too hard on the very bottom edge of the iPhone, there's the risk of your iPhone doing a backflip. If you're holding the <laughs> iPhone with one hand and you press hard and it just does a 180, you don't want to do that. So no. I don't think 3D Touch at the very bottom of the iPhone 10 is the solution. All right, before we go uh, to our first break, does Google Docs have drag and drop, guys? No. No. But another Google app just got support for drag and drop on iOS 11. Yep. I started in my updates, Google Photos. Uh, supports in some shape or form drag and drop now. So it seems like slowly Google is adopting iOS 11 features. Uh, I have no idea when Google Docs, if ever, is going to get the iPhone, uh, the drag and drop stuff or and, the iPhone, 10, the iPhone 10 support, which it also still doesn't so. have. <laughs> Come on, Google. Yeah. Come on. We believe in you, Google. Yeah. All right. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Eero. With Eero, you never need to think about Wi-Fi again because they have created the Dream Setup. It is a fast, reliable connection that you can get throughout your house, even in the backyard. And now is the best time to get on board with Eero as they have their brand new super slick second generation devices. Eero have now introduced their tri-band second gen model along with Eero Beacon, allowing you to build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to your home. This new Eero includes a third 5 gigahertz radio, which makes the system twice as fast as it was before. You can do more than ever. Whatever your needs, Eero can blanket your entire home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. The new Eero also includes a thread radio, which lets you connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, and more. And they have the new Eero beacon as well, which helps round out the whole system. This is just something that you can plug straight into the wall. You can have as many beacons as you want throughout the house. And as long as you have an Eero device, it helps it just make your beautiful Wi-Fi mesh no matter where you want to go. It really, really is fantastic. And it even includes a built-in LED nightlight in all the beacons as well with an ambient light sensor. So it's it's doing double duty in your house, which is fantastic. Now, Stephen, I believe that you at uh, your house is uh, blanketed in wonderful Wi-Fi because of Eero. It's great. You can uh, walk around, and and those spots in the house that you know the previous router couldn't reach, those dark, hidey corners, uh, it, it reaches because you have more than one base station to share the load, and it's easy to set up. You don't have to be a rocket scientist uh, to have good coverage with Eero. 
They have amazing customer support as well. You can call and get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert in just 30 seconds with Eero. Their new system starts at $399 for a second-gen Eero and two beacons, which is everything you're going to need to get started. But if you want to buy more beacons to extend the coverage further, super easy to do just to add them in. Listeners of this show can get free overnight shipping to the US or Canada when you go to Eero.com, that's E-E-R-O.com, and use the promo code CONNECTED. That's Eero.com with the promo code CONNECTED for free overnight shipping we thank Eero for their support of this show and relay fm so clips has been updated um version two of clips has brought with it a few things and i just wanted to mention because i was i i really i don't necessarily see myself using this app any more than i've used it before but i was impressed by playing around with it like the, there's a lot of ui refinement which so the app looks really great it looks great on the iphone 10 um, and the iphone 10 also has these things called selfie scenes which it uses a lot of the um the, the the true depth stuff to put you into these like green screen environments right so like you are there but the backgrounds have been replaced and there are like comic book worlds and space worlds and there's star wars content as well um it's really fun if you have an iphone 10 you know it's free you sh- i think you should just download it and play around with it because it's just a nice little tech demo, if anything else. And they have a uh, emoji sticker universe, which I feel mm. right at home in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's uh, Jeremy Burge's bedroom. Yes, That's where the, uh-huh. the scene takes place. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, re- it's a really nice update. They managed to, to uh, make a lot of the UI elements a lot more clear. Like uh, they're using a lot more text labels in place of just icons, for example. I think that makes using the app a lot easier, especially, you know, this kind of app, which is aimed at the less text-heavy maybe users. You know, you don't want to... These are different users than the folks who use Final Cut or even iMovie to an extent. So I think it's a very clever update. I don't use clips. I have no need for this kind of social uh, sharing with putting myself into a Tokyo-like environment. Uh, but it's a cool demo. It, uh, I was honestly expecting this kind of stuff to be part of the camera experience. And I could see how maybe in iOS 12 there could be like a portrait camera extension point for developers to make these cool effects and allow users to take, um, you know, um, effect-based portrait selfies in the camera. I could see, like, developers being able to write their own scenes, maybe using Syncit or some other iOS API, and there's an extension, and you can change, you can switch scenes directly from the camera app instead of using clips. That could be fun. Yeah, most definitely. And again, like, I know these things are tricky, and this probably wasn't what they expected, but... An emoji should be in this app, right? Like it should be mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah, so. especially because it's the the whole avatar kit, private mm-hmm. API, which mm-hmm. I'm now I have one of the um, Mr. Rambo uh, as a as a an emoji studio, which is this uh, custom app that you need to download and install via Xcode with a Mac. Um, which we don't necessarily you... endorse that you do. This is not an official thing by the Connector Podcast. Just wanted to just put that well, out there. The... Do you need the disclaimer? It's not like you're gonna break your phone or something. It's like well, okay, but the thing is, it's like oh, I love Rambo. He's a great guy, but like I wouldn't want to recommend that people just download software which hasn't necessarily gone through an approval process. Sure. All right. Yeah. I get Do you know it. what I mean? Uh, like. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I get it. Yeah. But I have Animoji Studio, so unless Mr. Rambo is looking at my camera as I'm making stupid faces, exactly, uh, <laughs> while I'm trying to be a panda or a pig, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it does, uh, but. Um, it's, it's very fun because you can make videos 
as long as you want. You're not limited to 10 seconds and you can share them with extensions and you can record the uh, audio of your iPhone and it doesn't even, the latest version on, on GitHub, uh, it doesn't even pause system audio. So today I took a very stupid Animoji video with... Um, I believe in a thing called love by the darkness playing in the mm-hmm. background and I was I was the chicken and I sent the video to you uh, both and to Sylvia and Sylvia disapproved whereas Mike laughed at the video I loved so it. I'm yeah thank you Mike I appreciate it um, yeah anyway Avatar Kid should be should be a thing on this iOS. is the app that should exist I wish that he was able to release this on the app store like I, I want this app to exist because it's so nice it's even just like from a design perspective it's nicely done right like, <laughs> so it's yes, just like it why, why can't why can't we have this i would like this yeah i think i think it's a political thing you know like in that apple wants the iMessage app to be used which i understand like i understand mm-hmm. that why you would yeah. want that because like you you warm if you're apple maybe it's, it's time uh... for the iMessage app store to get a little bit more love and this is a way to do that you know, my colleagues in the valley call this a growth hack. Like, <laughs> Your colleagues in the valley. Interesting. <laughs> wow. Interesting. I, I wasn't aware of that. But yes, I guess, I, do you know what? I guess this is a growth hack. Yeah. So do we want to talk more about the iPhone? Nah. Even no, more? We're done. Okay. There's more, more to talk about? Okay. There's more, there's more to talk about. So I, I thought we could uh, expand upon our initial uh, thoughts from last week's show and there was something that I was really not really struggling with, but really trying to understand. And Syracuse had said something on ATP and it really summed up what I was feeling. So I've been using reduced motion on iPhones since it's been a thing. I really didn't care for a lot of the animations in iOS 7, 8, 9, and 10. But on the iPhone 10, reduced motion is super janky. So if you if you have it enabled and you swipe up to go home, the animation starts. So like the app sort of lifts from the frame of the phone and then just crossfades, and it's very Swift. it's very jarring. It, it yeah. feels like it's not 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 quite right. And so I turned it off because that was really distracting. And I kind of figured, well, I'm not going to like this, and I'll just wait for them to fix reduce motion. But what I've come to realize, and what what John said that I that I agree with is that. I don't mind the animations as much on the iPhone 10 because I am causing them to happen. So when you press the home button and the and the app zooms out back in or zooms oh, in back into its little container, I didn't cause that to happen. The home button didn't kick off that animation. But if I'm swiping up and the app follows my touch and then I let go and it just continues its course back into its little uh, little app icon then that feels more organic. And it feels like I am not watching an animation, I am causing an animation. And that that may sound like a a silly distinction, but I think it's really important because it has it has let me be okay with all the animations in in this phone. Now yes, I wish they were faster and, and yes, some of them are like if you swipe home and then go in the dock, like the app goes up and then gets sucked back down, it looks really stupid. But then the app kind of stretches, the icon stretches, which is so yeah. weird. It's really weird. Um but I all in all, I think it's um I think it's a a better feeling sort of interaction for me at least than on previous phones. So like I will check out reduced motion again at some point in the future if they fix the the weird crossfade thing but until then uh, if that day ever comes i think i'm okay with it with it disabled 
Any thoughts? Mm-mm. Mm, yeah. of us you guys it. like the animations. You like the animations. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is the part of the new iOS and new iPhone discussions that I struggle to relate to, like the RSI and the animations. Like I, like I totally understand, but I don't have these problems. So I'm just listening and thinking of you well, as you talk to you, huh? You yeah, I, look, I'm not. I'm no. It's it's not that. It's uh, yeah. Anything I'm gonna say, it's gonna sound wrong. So <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> Stephen, I understand. <laughs> the um. <laughs> what about the the notification privacy mm. deal? So this pre-existed, but Touch ID 2 made it so fast it was basically useless. On the 10, your notifications are locked. So it just says, you know, you have a new iMessage from Federico Vitici, but the content of that message is not visible unless the phone is authenticated with Face ID. Uh, I think that's how it ships out of the box, I think. Um but I have I have disabled it. I, I found that to be slow, and if I just want to glance at my phone and like tap tap it to wake it up, I want to see what's there. I'm not in an open office environment. I'm not leaving my phone out where the people see it. Like I don't have those privacy concerns, so I felt like I could set it back to the old way. Uh, and I'm mm. I'm wondering if I'm a weirdo for that, or you, like I appreciate that it's cool, but I just I don't have the compelling need for it. Uh, what about the two of you? So I love the option. I really, really like it. But I disabled it yesterday because I ran into a problem. So as I think I've mentioned before, I do a lot of driving every single week. And when I'm driving, my girlfriend is in the passenger seat. And I delegated the role of checking important notifications to her. And sometimes you guys don't even know, but it's Sylvia replying to you. uh, Because I tell her what what to reply. I like to try and forget about this. I really wish you'd stop yeah. bringing it up. Well, you're never going to forget about this. So I'm I sorry. had. Uh, because in, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, we tried over the past week to, like I'm driving and she's holding the iPhone to my face and I have attention awareness turned on, which is super dangerous because you're looking at the road and suddenly there's an iPhone in front of your face and your girlfriend saying unlock, unlock and holding the iPhone and she gets upset because it doesn't unlock because I'm looking at the road and not at the iPhone. So wow. I had to disable um, the attention, uh, the um, privacy uh, notification privacy feature yesterday uh, w- uh, because uh, Sylvia needed to reply to a bunch of messages from John and John was totally aware of this delegation going on, so it's, it's fine, he knows. Um, but I was thinking that it's never going to happen, but there should be like, a, in, you know how there's a do not disturb while driving mode? Mm-hmm. I kind of wish just for me, if Apple would make ju- a feature just for me, which is like girlfriend mode while driving, where the iPhone detects that that I'm driving, it's in the car, but also enables some features just for my girlfriend, which is in the passenger, you know, she's in the passenger seat, she can do stuff with my iPhone. Uh, That's never going to happen. So uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do because I really love the feature, but also Sylvia does a lot of replying and liking things and checking emails as I'm driving. Um, Wait, did you say liking things? Also, yeah. I need to understand. Yeah. I need you to give me uh, an example in which this would need to happen. For example, maybe uh, Ryan or John or you send me something and she gives the little tap back oh, on my message. Oh, I thought you meant like a tweet. It's like, I don't understand why this is she, the thing that needs to occur. Sometimes, sometimes I you know, have notifications for 
replies from people I follow, and the Twitter app tends to send you uh, notifications when, like, Twitter says in things maybe important people. I think it's just people I interact with the most. So if, Mm -hmm. like, maybe Steven mentions me in something and Silvia sees the notification and then I tell her, well, put a like on that tweet, you know? Uh, so it's it's Throw good like social it. interaction. You wow. know, it's good it's good social behavior to yeah. like well, things you don't from want your to, friends. You don't want to fave and drive. I mean, that's just that's just you don't. It's not fave. It's a like actually. Uh, so I feel I'm compelled to correct you. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, there, this is a real problem. <laughs> like I'm in the car. I'm in the car. I don't want to look at the iPhone. I love the privacy features, uh-huh. but also I have another person taking care of my iPhone. So yeah. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I, don't know. I have uh, left the notification privacy on because I don't have any of these situations that I need to be concerned about. I actually quite like it. Mm-hmm. I like that, that it stacks the messages, honestly. like So the first time that I look at it, I get a view of what's happening and then it recognizes me and then expands them all. I like that. I actually kind of like that. What, what about uh, attention awareness? So you can unlock your phone... Normally, where it, you need to be mm-hmm. making eye contact with the the robot inside of it, or you can basically just have it yeah. as it sees your face to unlock. That's an accessibility yeah. feature. I, I've read some people mm-hmm. turning it on because they wear sunglasses all the time and it doesn't work or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had no problems with it. I've, I've left this on the way it comes, um, but I don't, you know, I don't have any any need to uh, to yeah, turn no. it off. I know, I know no. you guys are just wearing sunglasses all the time, inside, outside, just twenty four seven. Is that, no. is that an issue? No, I mean, I, I love the feature. I'm totally about eye contact. Uh, and, like, I love the, the fact that I can look at the phone and the iPhone knows and it does different things depending on my attention. I think it's awesome. So I want to keep that on. Uh, it's Same. really well done. Yeah. You two are really going for the titles today. I can I can feel it. I can mm-hmm. feel it. It's a race to the top. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about... Uh, the the horizontal swipey multitasking. So you have multitasking where you Ugh. drag up and hold or do like a semicircle. There's like five different ways to enter. There's it, like which, 70 which and people keep telling you all of them. That, yeah, I, right. I have been yeah. told about the one true way to activate multitasking constantly for the last week. Like everybody has their own way um, and all of them seem to be the best. It, that's weird, right? It's weird that it's so sloppy. Like you'd think there's like one path to do this, but no, there's there's a hundred. Anyways. Yeah, I think there there is one, but I think it the animation is so slow that people are able to do their own gestures and then by the time they finish their gesture, they think it's done, but it was already been activated. It just takes a while to like kick in. So I'm still kinda doing the swipe from the right uh bottom right corner occasionally but i've tried to use the official apple way of just swipe up and hold mm-hmm. and i think it takes a, it takes some practice but i, I you know i think it's fine it, the, the the pause even if conceptually i don't like the idea of introducing a pause in a in a gesture it's not so terrible like in in practice uh, i've been going back and forth with my method which is the best one mike by the way and the official <laughs> one and, uh, 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 thanks like, for that. I mean, uh... and the the difference i mean it's not as bad as i imagined when i uh, when i first devised my best method so i'm probably gonna use the the apple one because it's it works okay yeah it's the the mail app of gestures you know it's it's a little plain 
Not mm. a lot of frills, but it works every time. That's that's, what that's a that's the great analogy. Yes, and the, um, the swipey one, the half circle is like airmail. Like it's flashy and has a bunch of integrations, <laughs> but then it crashes when you send it. Does it have a bunch? Of, that, that's totally not. It broke down a little bit on me. I'll admit. So there's all of that world. There's that world of like the the card UI multitasking situation, but you can also horizontally swipe on the home indicator. And I think the idea is like move between like your your most recent couple of apps. I think I said on last week's show that was super great setting up a phone, having like one password and like, you know, like then flipping back to the app I was in and back and forth. Uh, there's some weirdness there, though. And I didn't know what it was doing until like three days ago. And then I realized what it was doing. And I felt like my brain had become unbroken when you. So if you think about those, the, the most recent app is sort of on the right and then you move to the left or down uh, through your other most recent apps, sort of in reverse chronological order. When you first start, though, the app you're in is, um, if you move to the left, you can move back to the right and get back to the previous one. But there's only like a, a window of about five seconds, and then it all resets, and the app you're in now is the rightmost app. So mm. if you're fast enough, you can move to the left and then back to the right. But if you're too, if you take too long and one password copying your password, then the app to the right's now on the left, and it's mm. once you understand what it's doing, then it is more usable. But it took a while for me to realize, like, okay, after some period of time, it's about five seconds, then mm. the stack sort of sort of resets, and I I don't really understand why. Like, uh, I guess so. Uh, the- there's a tiny Teach asterisk me. here um, okay. that even if it's less than five seconds, but if you interact with the app that you just switched to, so like if you tap or if you scroll, it's going to become the most recently used app. So I think the idea is we're going to give you a window. It's like four to five seconds and you can keep the same order of the of the apps that you saw when you first opened the switcher. So you can swipe left and right. So you either, for for the position to be reset, so for the second app to become the most recently used one, you either have to wait five seconds or you can swipe, wait a second, interact with the app, and then it becomes the most recently used one. Uh, so it depends so on time and interaction. It's a, it's so, It kind of reminds me in a different way of the old iOS 9 split view uh, app switcher that mm. sort of tried to account for the idea of user interaction. What is the last app that the user actually put in split view? Mm. It's sort of the same idea. It's, it's looking for time and it's looking for interactions. So you either wait or you interact with the second app and then it becomes the first one again. It's kind of complicated okay. to explain. Yeah. Does this differ from the iPad one? Yeah. Okay. I think I think <laughs> of course it, it may, does. Hold on. Maybe. Oh, so the uh, on iOS 11 on the iPad, there's still some weird things going on. Not with the main app switcher, but with the command tab app switcher. Oh, don't, I don't uh, want to talk the, about that. But like, because you can do yeah. the four finger swipe left and right on the iPad, right? And I wanted. I guess it's the same kind of thing because I know that if I do that, I can go between applications and sometimes yeah. I'm going left and sometimes I'm going right. So I expect it's a similar yeah. thing, but I don't even want to get into yeah. command tab today. Okay. I don't have it all in right. Federico. Okay, all right, okay, sure. 
so I, I want to. Uh, do we have any other thoughts about the? Um, I guess we we need to talk about the size um, of the phone compared to the plus. If we have any more thoughts on that, uh, because I've been I've been thinking about this and I've been looking at the rumors of you know Apple working on three new iPhones next year. One of them being the ten plus. Let's call it that. Uh-huh. And I. And I, and I'm and I keep thinking that while I love the iPhone 10, as soon as Apple has the 10 Plus, I'm gonna yeah. jump on that because I I want the big screen. But it's for the for same now, reason we did it in the first place, it's the yeah. same reasons. Yeah. For now, I'm not having any particular issues when it comes to uh, like the amount of no. the number of tweets or emails or messages it's that I can see in a single screen. Yeah. It's the same and I don't use my iPhone in landscape mode, so it's fine. Um yeah, no no other thoughts on this. I don't know about you guys. I got used to it really quickly and it, that yeah. hasn't changed for me. Like it feels very natural um and did from like within the first hour of using it. Like I, I adapted incredibly quickly to the screen size. Um, that's more what I'm focused on rather than the physical size. Physical size is kind of whatever, but it was all about the screen size. And it just feels as good. It feels as big. I'm I'm totally fine with it. I've gotten used to it as well pretty quickly. And I don't I'm really on the fence about a a bigger tin just for the like if I'm the the reaching now is is basically the way it was on the plus. Like to reach control center is more or less what it was to reach the top of the plus phone. But I don't want. I don't know if I want a phone that I've got to go further than that. And a 10 plus would, assumingly, have you know f- further reach to get to those upper edges. Now, if it came with a version of iOS that made sense on big phones, maybe I'd feel differently, and I may feel differently once I see it. But as of right now, I'm really happy with. I have basically the same screen size, you know, roughly that I had before, but in a form factor that's much more compact and is you know nicer in the pocket and and all that stuff. So. I'm really happy. I don't find myself longing for the days of the Plus Club because, like Mike, I get the benefits of that with this phone, and I don't know if the trade-offs for an even bigger phone would be worth it. I guess we'll we'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But for now, I know I'm not looking at the at the eight plus. You know, wondering what our life together would have been like because I'm really happy with the ten. I've been trying to explain the iPhone ten to my friends. Um, which I think is interesting because uh, each one of them seems to be attracted to a different feature of the iPhone. So generally speaking, the the screen is always the first reaction. They look at the screen and they go like, oh my God, it's all screen. Um, then they look at the bottom, there's no home button. And every single one of them have, have, has asked me, so how do you unlock the phone and how do you close apps? And by close apps, they mean opening the app switcher and force quitting all of the apps because people do that. So there, there's nothing I can do that. that they're, they're beyond saving at this point. Um, <laughs> and so every everybody seems to be interested in how, you, how do you replace the home button. And when you explain the little home bar at the bottom, uh, they seem to be getting the idea. Uh, and they're, they, they are impressed by the screen. What I, what I think is a little more challenging is explaining the benefits of OLED uh, compared to uh, LCD. Um, so I've been, uh, as a demo, because you know explaining white color and explaining HDR is basically impossible uh, for people who don't necessarily care about these details. But I've been using the true black backgrounds in some iPhone apps as an example. Uh, so I'm holding the iPhone and I'm opening like... Um, the grocery app that I'm using, it's got a black background, and I and I go like 
take a look at the top where the notch should be and you can you cannot see the where the screen ends and where the notch begins and they all go like oh yeah that, that's totally right and some of them have um as a as a comparison they bring up like a black photo on their iphone 7 or iphone 6s and they compare the black and they all go like yes it's it, like i can totally see the difference now so that's pretty awesome um wireless charging also a big thumbs up when it comes to demo i have a uh, I've been basically my my bedroom has sort of become like a museum. I, there's like guided tour, and I and uh, whenever a friend comes over, I like go visit my nightstand. You can see a wireless charger there. I can put my iPhone on top of the little little pad, and it charges. So like I'm giving these tours of the the the, the iPhone 10 environment, um, which they they like the idea of just putting your iPhone on a, on a little surface and it charges, which is pretty cool. And finally. Um, of course, everybody asks about the battery because iOS 11 has been such a huge, huge problem for people uh, when it comes to battery life. And uh, as I said last week, portrait selfies are the by far the best demo for the uh, for the iPhone 10. I know that the iPhone 8 also has the same camera, but nobody cares about the iPhone 8. Everybody just wants <laughs> to look at the everybody just wants to look at the iPhone X, as they call it. Uh, and uh, they are impressed with the selfies. They, I know that they're not the best quality. They're, there's problems with the depth and the blur and the bokeh, whatever. They are impressed with the fact that they can look sexier or, you know, more... more. That, that's basically what people do, right? That's, that's what... Come on, let's just say that's what people that's what do. I care about. Both, both uh, men and women, that's what they do with the selfies. They want to look better. They want to mm-hmm. look sexier when they send each other messages. Yes. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that is how I feel when I send you my selfies. That is true, true. Yeah, that's oh, why we put them on the the show page last week. You know? Yeah, and in people's Share, apps, get that out of the world. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this is this is, we can get into the the philosophical aspects here, but I think that honestly, uh, looking looking, but yeah, because if you if you read, for example, like Freud, uh, you could argue that you know. Anyway, Freud, on uh, what are we doing? <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm just arguing that. There's always in the back of your mind, you know, wanting to look better, um, you know, the social sure. mechanics and all kind of stuff. Anyway, um, you, you you look better uh, with the iPhone 10 selfie camera. So I think that a lot of people can relate to that. Um, and it makes for a fantastic demo, even if it's not perfect from a photographic point of view. That's what I'm saying. I wanted to just add just a couple of quick things. Um, one, I have noticed the uh, non-responsiveness in the cold. Um, this weekend, I was out. Weather's changing here. I was trying to type on the keyboard, and it was missing a bunch of keys. Um, and I was at brunch with a friend who also has the iPhone 10, and the exact same thing was happening to him. So this is a real thing. I mean, Apple have already said they're going to fix it in software, uh, which I believe, but it is something that I have now observed. Um, and I can't remember the other thing that I was going to say, uh, so I guess we're just going to move on. <laughs> Today's episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Enter the offer code WORLD at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. They'll let you easily create the website that you want for your next bright idea. With the ability to grab a unique domain name, take advantage of beautiful award-winning templates, and also have access to 24-7 customer support, Squarespace are the only one platform that will let you take your great ideas and let them shine. There's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about. There's no upgrades needed. 
You don't have to worry about any of this stuff with Squarespace. They've got it. Co- they've got it covered for you. They just want to give you a place for you to do your great work, rather than having to deal with all of the minutiae of getting a website set up. Whether you want to create a blog, portfolio, online store, just about any type of website you can imagine, Squarespace has all of the tools that you need to put it online. You can sign up for a trial today with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. Their plans start at just twelve dollars a month, and you can get ten percent off your first purchase when you use the offer code World at checkout. You'll also be showing your support for this show. So that's 10% off with the offer code WORLD at checkout. We thank Squarespace for the continued support of this show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So in the ongoing saga of is Workflow alive or is Workflow dead, turns out Workflow Mm. is alive. Alive and kicking, some would even say. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it got a surprise update. I mean, at this point, every workflow update is a surprise update. Yep. Uh, but it got a 1.7.7. Ooh, everyone's favorite. Week. Everyone's favorite update, the 177. Uh, okay. Uh, is that, uh, that Does that have a meaning? It's Freud. Uh, that, that number? Freud said it. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Um, so this update brings support for the iPhone 10, iOS 11, and some basic drag and drop on the iPad. Uh, to bring in content into your into your workflows. Uh, I was happy to see this because it means that the workflow team is still working on this app. And I wanna I wanna quickly um, talk about the drag and drop stuff on the iPad. I don't know if you guys have played with workflow. I assume you, Mike, have because you you are have. you are also a fan of this application. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven, I'm not I, sure. Uh, I played with can... it. No, it's great. You pl- you on, play? Okay, all right. So. Yeah, I'm just saying you like Automator and that you, kind of you know stuff. the uh, I do like Automator the uh, iPhone 10 screenshot deal that's on that blog post that I wrote on Control Center. I made that with Workflow, uh, with the iPhone 10 mask workflow that one of your writers put together. I don't remember who. Sorry. Mac yeah, Graham on, on Graham Twitter. One of your former yeah. former Mac stories. Former. Writer. Yeah, the the, yeah. the blogger formerly known as Graham. He's <laughs> still he's still known as Graham, but. Uh, so you can now, on the iPad with iOS 11, you can now pick something up. It can be text, it can be an image, it can be a link, whatever. And you can drop it on top of the little play button with the with the play bar at the top of, of the workflow editor. So there's like a blue bar with a play button in the middle. You can drop stuff there. And if you do, that item, that content will become the input item of a workflow. So, for example, let's say that you have a workflow that just does, for example, Quick Look. It brings up a Quick Look preview. Uh, you can pick up an image from the fo- from the Photos app, you drop it into the workflow, and the Quick Look preview will show you a full screen preview of the image. And you can apply this um, method to all kinds of items that you can drag and drop on iOS 11. I have a workflow for, for example, picking up a link from Safari. And I drop it there, and it saves the link to my Trello board for Club Mac Stories. I have another that um, gets the markdown um, from Bear, the note-taking app that sends the the you know does a bunch of things for markdown that I need and sends them to Ulysses. So uh, I think it's interesting that the the workflow has been able to take advantage of this API. But I'm a little surprised, honestly, that uh, I'm both surprised and not surprised when I think about it. Not surprised because I know that this is not a major update. This is not a major rewrite of the app. It's still the same workflow that Apple acquired. They're sort of, uh, they're 
improving a lot of the existing aspects and they're fixing things that were broken. And so the app is still heavily based on the content graph engine that was in place before Apple bought Workflow. But I, I'm surprised that the drag-and-drop framework on iOS 11 is an extremely rich framework in that every item, for example, that you pick up and drop into another application is advertised by the system in multiple formats. So a link, for example, it can be it can be just a link or it can be the title of the web page and the link. Or an image that you pick up from a web page in Safari can be both a JPEG and a link. And so forth for rich text and PDF documents. There's multiple um, flavors of an item baked into the the little thing that you drag. And workflow doesn't see all these variations at all. It only uh, sees one. It, workflow infers what the data should be, and it doesn't allow you to inspect the data items contained within the drag item. Which feels like something workflow would do. Yeah, basically, uh, it does this behind the scenes. It assumes for you. Well, you picked up an image from Safari. Of course, you just want you just want the mm-hmm. JPEG. And I ran into these problems when I was testing workflow uh, with Mail, for example. I couldn't I couldn't extract the the message link to an individual email message, which I know that the drag and drop API exposes to compatible apps. But workflow doesn't want to get that link. It only gets I think the subject line of the message. So I ran into these limitations already, and I know why Workflow has to do this now, because this is now Workflow 2.0. It's not a completely new app, but the power user inside of me uh, just kind of wishes that this was possible. Yeah, I will say that like I was surprised that the app wasn't... Um, the, the drag-and-drop didn't work the way that I had expected, Right, like I was kind, of, I was like dragging a, an image onto a workflow in the main screen, and that doesn't do anything, right? You have to like open the workflow yeah. and drop it into that specific area where the play button is, which is fine. I mean, and I've, I, I just had to get used to that, and I'm more than anything, I'm happy that it exists, right? Like I already, I have a um, a workflow that just very simply removes photo metadata, right? Like if I want to share them or right. whatever, if I'm taking photos in my home or something, because of Gary the privacy clown, so I. Can very easily now just open photos and I just grab the image and just drag it onto the workflow, which works great for me. Um, it's an easier way of doing it than to just open the photo picker. Honestly, like it's just it's. I'm all, I'm usually starting with the image in that case rather than opening workflow and beginning. So I'm already there. I'll just use it. Um, so I mean it it works it works nicely. Uh, but there is some more stuff that I would love to see the app do. And honestly. Considering where we are right now, I do believe that there will be further development, interest like further interesting development for this application, purely because they did something, right? Like it's always, you know, you just kind of want to see signs of life. And the fact that this has occurred in any uh, in any way continues to fill me with optimism that the application will have a life in some manner, whether it's continuing to advance as itself or to become a more integrated part of iOS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to to that, I wanted to add that I feel pretty good about thinking that the workflow team is working on a major, substantial update to to workflow that is not one point seven point seven. This version that we got last week isn't 
the kind of major update that required five months of work since iOS 11 came out. So I, I, I have a pretty good feeling about the fact that some new version of Workflow 2.0 or maybe not even 2.0, maybe a system feature, it exists and it's currently being developed inside Apple. But what we don't know is, is that going to be another app on the App Store subject to API limitations like other third-party apps? Or is that going to be a native automation layer on top of iOS, built right inside of iOS as a system app, as a system framework? This is the kind of discussion that we had when Workflow was acquired uh, a few months ago. And it's still not clear what Apple's uh, plans uh, are here. Uh, I just hope that the sort of the guiding light for the workflow team and Apple should be the fact that a lot of pro users, especially on the iPad, they depend on this kind of app on workflow to be able to work better on iOS. Um, and they shouldn't forget just, you know, maybe just how much goodwill is there to be lost by turning workflow into a simplified recipe making recipe in the sense of automation um app i i hope that they keep in mind that the ipad especially now that sales are picking up again and the ipad pro idea seems to be working a lot of those pro users they want more and they want more powerful stuff they don't want to have there's an argument to be made for making automation easier for everyone and i totally get it but also the iPad Pro, it's right there in the name. It's for pro users, for people who want to work on this device. So whatever new version they're working on, I hope they, they're not forced to remove a bunch of advanced features or to cut back on the web API stuff. Um, I, I think we're going to see, a, I hope, and you know, we're going to see a new workflow with a new design, with new features eventually. But my concern is that maybe there's some pressure internally to make that a m even more simplified version of workflow which is already you know it's by far the easiest uh, automation system to get started with um you know even compared to automator and you know it doesn't have shell <laughs> actions uh but it's already quite simple i don't want to see apple saying, well, workflow was too complicated and now we made it easier, but you cannot do web APIs anymore. You cannot no. do interrupt communication anymore. I, the, actually, weirdly, the further we go from the acquisition, the more confident I am in workflow's long-lasting life. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, when, when this happened, we laid out, or at least you laid out, Federico, a bunch of different scenarios and i actually think that we are in one of the best case scenario yes. groups currently yes, we are. which is that the app is continuing to be updated it is not being updated at the pace that it was previously which was what we mm -hmm. expected but it is being updated and it is taken advantage of new system features like i can't ask for more than that honestly you know really ideally all i want is maintenance that's all i want like I, because if I, I very rarely even open the workflow app, right? Like I, I operate most of my workflows from the notification center widget, honestly. 
uh, and that works great for me. And as long as that stuff keeps working, I'm going to be really happy. And but the fact that they're actually adding in new features and supporting new system stuff and new like the new UI things in the iPhone 10, and like great, this is fantastic. Like I'm super super happy about it. So I continue to be optimistic and have faith in workflows long and fruitful life that we'll see before yeah. it. Yeah. As far as workflow is concerned, we are at this point in the good timeline. Uh, not the best mm-hmm. one, but also not the not the dark one. Not so the dark one. right now, we, we cannot complain right now. That's no, all I'm saying. We cannot. We're in the good timeline. All right. Should we take a break? Yes. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Hover. Building your online identity has never been more important. And with Hover, you can find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. So I think it's safe to say that all of us have passions for things, right? Like we have or have started in the past lots of blogs. We have podcasts and many creative endeavors. And I mean, I think that one of the most important parts of any new creative project is to go and get that domain name, right? You have to get the domain name. You want it. You need the name. You need the brand. I mean, I know that I have felt that way with Relay FM, right? Like one of the big things for us when we were naming our company was, are the domains available? And if the domain was available, that's a name we could use. It is that important. You can have a great name. You can have a great idea, but you also need to have a great domain name. So people, when they find you online, they know what they're looking for. And there is nowhere better than Hover. They have the best, they have best in class customer support. They also have their Hover Connect feature, which I love, which allows you to connect your domain name to many website builders in just a few clicks. They even have free who is privacy as well. So the bad guys don't get your information. Hover have over 400 domain extensions that you can choose from to help you build your identity online. There's a lot of choices to help you find the perfect domain name, but let's say, for example, you're a designer or another type of creative professional. You could use .design instead of the .com or .biz or .co domain names. By using .design, you're telling everyone exactly what you do. Stand out and build your online identity with the perfect domain name for you or your business. New customers can even get 10% off any of the domain extensions, over 400 domain extensions that Hover offers, by going to hover.com slash connected. That's 10% off for new customers at hover.com slash connected. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we are about to talk about the Amazon Echo uh assistant and service and tubes um just because this topic is going to be so fraught with naming stuff uh, we, i am throwing uh an amnesty uh with the name so if you want to oh. use the name the oh, word yes. that begins and ends in a uh you can use it freely and i am just letting yeah. everybody know right now if they need to go and mute any speaker systems or etc etc uh, you can I'm do gonna that i'm going to mute mine I'm not going to mute mine right now. Hang on. That's perfect. You mute yours. Mine is muted already. Uh, we're all muted. All right. If you want to listen to this and you're scared, you should mute too. Uh, I, I'll i see the floor to say, you all. Alexa, 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 Alexa. That's not necessary, oh, though. good. Is it? Uh, I I wanna, good. I've always wanted to do this on a podcast, Alexa. Oh, man, that feels but this so isn't, good. You know, like, I give you this. You just don't go crazy with it. Oh, okay. Alexa, buy a washing machine. See, now this is... Alexa, why are we talking about Alexa today? You wanted to. Well, well, There's a bunch okay. of stuff. There's a bunch so, of news, right? So these uh, 
I saw a few Alexa power devices uh, a few weeks ago. I think it was in October, and we wanted to talk about this uh, as it relates to the idea of the Amazon Echo as an ecosystem of products and services. So the first one is the Garmin Speak, which is this tiny 1.5 inches uh, little display that you put in your car. It's got like a such suction cup uh, attachment to the to the windshield, and it gives you directions using um, and it's got lane guidance type of navigation. Um, it uses an app called uh, Garmin Speak, which integrates with the with the Alexa web services. And it allows you to use, uh, of course, it's the first device with Alexa and navigation built into the same product. And it also can use some Amazon Echo skills. So the, uh, the web-based uh, features that you enable on your Amazon account, you can take advantage of some of those using the Garmin Speak in your car. So for example, you can save new tasks into Todoist while you're driving, you know, totally hands-free just by talking to Alexa in the car, which I think it's fascinating. But of course, Course, as other uh, API API based Alexa products, they, you cannot control Spotify playback or any other playback that I think is not the Amazon Music service, which is the you know the limitation that we've been talking about over and over. These devices, these uh, third party Amazon Echo clients, they cannot control music playback through Spotify, which I think arguably is the most popular one. Um, it doesn't support the, the Garmin, uh, the Garmin speak doesn't support texting or placing phone calls using Alexa, which is still uh, exclusive to the home, uh, the, you know, the official Amazon Echo speakers. And the second one, uh, you know, Amazon tried to do the Alexa portable speaker before, uh, with the Echo tap maybe was that the name you know it was a bluetooth speaker that nobody yeah. basically bought um, yeah. <laughs> and now uh, i think logitech through their ultimate ears um company uh the they are releasing these two speakers the uh, the blast and the the mega blast which is, uh, kind of sounds like a pokemon evolution but it's actually two <laughs> speakers uh so blast and mega blast uh they retail for uh 229 and 299 respectively and they are portable speakers with wi-fi chips inside and the usual microphone array running around the speaker that allows you to call up Alexa from a portable Bluetooth device. They got these microphones uh, under the fabric of the speaker, which I think looks pretty cool. Uh, and of course, the you know the Blast and the Mega Blast. I know a bunch of friends who have the old version. Uh, I just love calling them like, with, the, with the names. Is so amazing. The Mega Blast. The Mega Blast. It's it's like if. Blast Toys had a, had a uh, passion for mm -hmm. music, it would, it would totally rock the Mega Blast. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, they say it's the loudest speaker ever produced by Ultimate Ears. Um, but, of course, you can use Alexa, you can use the skills, and Spotify <laughs> playback is absent from the speakers uh, as well. You cannot. Why is you this, cannot, do you think? Like, what, so, what, what is Spotify's problem here? I don't think it's Spotify's problem. I think it's Amazon's problem that maybe they they saw this kind of scenario play out with the with the same growth hack uh, mindset that we 
talked about Apple, that maybe if we limit the API so it doesn't work with competing music services, well, suddenly everyone is going to sign up for Amazon Music. Mm. That's my idea. Well, of course, it mm-hmm. d- didn't happen. Mm. Even though Amazon Music has some pretty cool features, I think. They have the lyrics with the, what's it called, X-ray uh, functionality, something like that, borrowed from the Kindle, I think. Um so, but of course, you know, it's nearly not as popular as Spotify or Apple Music. Um, but it, it's particularly, uh, you know, it, it's such a huge problem that you're selling a speaker with Amazon Echo integration and it doesn't support Spotify. A music speaker that doesn't work with the most popular music streaming service in the world. It's kind of, it's, it's a contradictory experience in that sense. And so... Um, you know, they also come with, I uh, just looked at the at the notes again, they also have this, I think it's very interesting, they have um, like a charging station, it's called the power app, so you just place the, the speaker vertically on top of the station and it charges, I think it's super cool. Anyway, uh, all of this, because I, we wanted to talk about the Echo and there's new Echoes that you guys, I think, received and there's this whole mm-hmm. idea of Alexa, not just as the thing that you have in your kitchen, but as a wider ecosystem of devices and services and third-party skills all living together in and outside the house which i think it's a it's a it's an interesting concept and it it consider from this perspective of it's not just one device that you put in a room in your house it's more of a bunch of web services not even a smartphone integrations but web integrations all working together all living together for this ecosystem of a smart assistant and i wanted to talk about that as it correlates to siri which is kind of taking the opposite direction with the home pod and the iphone <laughs> <laughs> the opposite worse direction you mean yeah yeah so yeah. uh then what about the new the new echo uh the, the you know the, the 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 little one it's just yeah, called the echo little- Little baby echo. Mm. I I'm a big fan. So I had, you know, the full size plastic thing. I have the I did the black cloth cover. It looks really nice. It's in our kitchen. Um I know we talked about in the show, like, is it gonna get dirty or whatever? So far mine's been okay, but it's kinda far away from the stove or any food prep area. Um I think it looks a lot nicer. It you know, from a functionality standpoint, it it seems to hear us just as well. I do really miss the the ring. So the on the tall echo, to change the volume, the whole top of it rotated around. So you could just like reach over and turn it and the LED showed you the volume. It was a really nice interaction. And the new echo just uses like plus and minus buttons. And of course you can change the volume with your voice. But I, I really like the ring and it's it's a little disappointing that it's uh that it's gone. But um but it's fine. The buttons are fine and they work well, they feel good. Um and uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, it's, I think that's all positive and I think it sounds, it sounds better. This was actually a point of contention in my household. Amazon has had, best I can tell, two software updates for this Echo tweaking the sound, the sound. And mm-hmm. I think when we first unboxed ours, it was really kind of muddy and like bass heavy and, and sort of sounded not great. And there was an update and I think it sounds better than the tall echo my wife disagrees and she prefers the way the old echo sounded i think it's just because she was used to it um the old echo lacked some of the low end the new one has so it did sound sort of crisper in a way but i think the new one overall sounds better and uh the tall echo is now in our bedroom and you know we're listening to music back there and i want to talk about music uh in a minute but 
Um, so far, I've been I've been really happy with it. I like that it looks less like a tech product in our kitchen, and that was sort of the big reason for me updating. Um, so yeah, thumbs up from the Hackett household. I think I'm I'm fine. I mean, it's fine. I, I honestly I haven't really noticed any difference to it in any major way. Right? Like I like you miss the ring thing, and like rather than the buttons. Uh, I like the start, the size because it's just smaller, it's cuter, it's out of the way more. I like the new material because I think it's better for a kitchen environment. I have no real way of discerning any sound quality difference. I can't tell if there, if it's any different. Uh, maybe I just don't have the ears for that. Um, the biggest effect that this has had is it's put another echo in my house. So we did the echo shuffle and we now uh, have an echo in every room. So I have one in the living room slash kitchen uh, one in my office and one in our bedroom and we really like that a lot because now we have complete full house coverage without needing to like shout at an echo um, basically any room that we're going to be in where we need to control something like the lights or we're asking things like what's the weather like we now have an echo there so we can just talk to it um, so it's making that stuff even better The, you know I know it's silly to have like so many of these devices but the, the more likely you are to have coverage wherever you want to get the attention of the thing the more likely you are to use it i think um so i'm really happy with that and the new echo is fine um it has done exactly what i wanted i wasn't expecting anything more out of it than this honestly it's been great yeah uh so i I spoke a lot about like the our our dance of music services we're using spotify my wife and i are both using apple music but i'm still paying for spotify just for the echoes and so I found it's it's kind of actually hard to find on Amazon's website, but they have a a three ninety nine a month Echo only Amazon Music plan. Uh, that's been really great. We haven't found anything that we want to listen to that that Amazon Music plan doesn't have. The free Amazon Music plan is garbage, but four bucks a month you get a bunch of good stuff. Uh, so I thought, great, I'm paying four bucks a month. This is awesome. We get the new Echo. The old Echo gets demoted to the bedroom. And the New York is in the kitchen and I'm in the kitchen like the next day. I'm like, Hey Alexa, you know, play a song. And it says, there's no music, uh, service set up. What do you want to do? Well, that's weird. So I open the app and then I discover that three ninety nine a month is locked to one echo. And if you want to use it with more than one echo, which we do now, it's seven ninety nine a month. So <laughs> now paying seven ninety nine a month, have this on two echoes. It's still cheaper than Spotify. Spotify felt like overkill for this because we don't use any of the playlist stuff or any of the Discover Weekly. Like Spotify, its only interaction in our household was through the Echo. So the Amazon Music one's a couple of bucks cheaper. Like this is not about the two dollars a month. It's really just kind of understanding like what these features are because Amazon struggles, I think, in explaining the different music plans that it offers and like. Once you're in, though, it's cool. So, like, you know, I'm I'm in the Echo, in the kitchen, and it says, hey, you know, you can upgrade from 399 to 799 on the month. Just ask the Echo to do that. And so I said, hey, you know, upgrade my music plan. And it wanted to confirm my, you know, four-digit PIN, and it did, and then we're, we're off to the races. So uh, we're using that Amazon Music Echo-only plan. It's still using Apple Music, and that feels like a good a good setup for our family. Um and, you know, I'm not using any of the, like the third party Alexa products. So I'm not running into like, well, Spotify works on this one and not this one. Uh, so I'm kind of sidestepping all of that. But it's still really complicated. Like there's no great 
I mean, Spotify is the closest, I guess, but there's no like one music service that's like a surefire winner if you are a multi-platform family or a multi-platform user even. So, you know, Spotify is great unless you have a third-party Echo deal or you're on the Mac a lot and don't like the Mac app. Like, like, like I don't like the Mac app. Apple Music's really awesome, but you have to have a HomePod and no one, you know, with an Echo, I think is going to move to a HomePod for Siri. So like, it's still a very like complicated matrix of decisions to pick the music streaming service that's right. And so maybe a lot of people do like what we do and just bunt and pay for two, uh, which is ridiculous. But uh, that's kind of where we are. And I think this is where we'll stay. Uh, we like having the two big echoes and having, you know, music in the bedroom and stuff. But it's uh, it's definitely was something I, I wasn't expecting to have to deal with again. I thought we were kind of settled. Uh, but that's but that's where we are. Um, and, you know, hopefully... Uh, hopefully Amazon can do a better job in the future at making the music side a little bit simpler for its users. Yeah, uh, I just checked again and a lot of these companies like Garmin and there's another one that The Verge is uh, writing about today. They also have another um, Alexa accessory for the car, which is cheaper. It's like a little dongle that you attach to your car's Bluetooth and it brings Alexa integration. It's $49. Um, all these companies are saying that Spotify integration is in the works uh, mm-hmm. So it seems that maybe Amazon changed their mind and not going to allow in the Alexa Web Services API a Spotify playback. So that's going to that's gonna be interesting because it means uh, that, you know, I feel like once I have Spotify integration on all of these devices, whether it's the Sonos, which I also kind of want to play with, or these car um, accessories or portable speakers... I would feel more, com- even more compelled to use Spotify everywhere and to use Alexa everywhere rather than having to just talk to my future maybe HomePod just in the living room. And this is the bigger theme that I feel, especially about music, which, uh, you know, of course, it's the, for many, it's the most important web service they sign up for. It's the music streaming service that they want to use. and. Right. From this perspective, it feels like Spotify is way ahead of Apple in the sense of Spotify is everywhere. And once it'll even be supported by Alexa devices, then you will have an assistant with a music streaming service that you can use everywhere. You can have Spotify on your PlayStation, on your iPhone, on your TV, on your portable speaker, on your kitchen speaker. You can have Spotify everywhere. And I feel like Apple should probably do the same for Apple Music. They have Apple Music for Android, which was a great surprise and also a great decision because, you know, music is universal and music should be everywhere. And that's, you know, as a concept, music should be on every device that you own. But from a technical perspective, it means that your music streaming service should be able to run on every single device that you have. That's, you know, I I prefer the Amazon approach here of the assistant and therefore the music that you that you um, ask for through an assistant is not just you know trapped inside your iPhone and you know all interactions go through the iPhone whether it's Siri on the Apple Watch or uh, the uh, the you know of course the iPhone and the HomePod that you know judging from the you know uh, from the SDK that Apple has you know the developer documentation the HomePod is gonna uh, have to talk to the iPhone uh, if you want to have like SiriKit extensions. Uh, this yeah. iPhone centric, this iPhone centric world, I don't think it's well suited for the kind of future that is now becoming the present of 
assistants that live in the cloud. All the integrations are web-based. They don't need a local binary on your iPhone uh, with the local SiriKit extension. They can just always work. And the music streaming service, which, again, I believe is the most important feature, it follows you everywhere. Once you set up Spotify on one device, all that intelligence, all those, you know, playlists and learning, it all happens in the Spotify service. And the Spotify service, you can take it with you anywhere you want to use it. And I think that's a powerful idea that maybe Apple is missing out on. That's the the, the negative maybe conclusion. The more, the more positive take is Apple users, you know, folks who buy Apple products, they don't care about third-party stuff. They don't care about the Amazon Echo. They don't care about the Garmin Speak because they have cars with CarPlay. They have Apple Watches. They have HomePods. They have iPhones and iPads and Apple TV. So once you have everything Apple, it doesn't really matter that it's not a music streaming service that works everywhere because your everywhere is just Apple products. So I can see why folks who think, well, this is a way overblown discussion. It doesn't matter because in the Apple ecosystem, Hmm. you're well served by Apple Music and Siri. And that is true. I just wonder if maybe that's the right investment for the future of where things are going and if Apple is interested at all in that kind of future. Is that fair? I think it's very I fair it and I yeah. and I hold a lot of the same concerns but I, but also come to the same conclusion that you do. It's like this the people that this stuff matters to probably won't buy a HomePod like me. Right like mm-hmm. yep. for what I'm using my uh, ver- like my voice assistant system for at home um I don't need a HomePod for that because I very rarely listen to music on it. Most of the time, I'm honestly, I'm connecting to Bluetooth to play podcasts from my phone. Um, and it doesn't look like that the HomePod will have any better way to do that with Overcast, right? It would just still probably be just connect via Bluetooth. If you can even do that, I, I'm at, off the top of my head, I don't know if you can with the HomePod. I assume you can, but I don't know. Um so the Echo does great for that. I mean, okay, yeah, the HomePod can control all of my HomeKit devices, but why would I replace? Why would I replace it? Amazon can do that. Plus, Amazon the the Echo uh, hooks into IFTTT, and I don't imagine the HomePod will. Right, so it's just stuff like that where I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I, I I see why a lot of people will want the HomePod because they don't want an Echo and they would like to have a speaker that plays their music from Apple Music that would be great right like that i know that's why people are going to buy it but i don't care about those things which is why i care about the echo because it makes most sense for my personal usage yeah i agree i think the HomePod, if anything will be one of those apple products that i probably pick up so we can talk about it and then i return it taking advantage of apple's lenient return policy i'm pleased that you'll do it because i don't want to yeah well it may be out here is it what's there's multiple countries at launch, wasn't it? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But yeah, I, I agree. I have too much in the Echo ecosystem now to to swap in the HomePod. It would solve my music streaming service uh, duplicity, but it would not take over uh, the other stuff. You know, HomeKit doesn't quite do everything I have set up there. I have a lot of if stuff now, like you said. It's the Echo is too ingrained in our household to to move away from it. Most of this discussion was prompted by my ongoing situation with using both Spotify and Apple Music. I tweeted about this yesterday. I still cannot choose. And there's parts of Apple Music that I really like. Um, 
Of course, the, being able to invoke music via Siri on my iPhone and the Apple Watch integration is better. And, you know, I prefer the way the other looks and it's got lyrics, which is a huge part of, the, you know, how I like to listen to music. But Spotify is just smarter and the recommendations are better. And, you know, I'm the type of user of, or rather of music fan that wants to discover new music every week. I want to listen to new stuff and I, wanna, and I want, you know, my girlfriend and I to share the kind of experience of discovering a new song. And the recommendations that Apple Music gives me every week with the favorites mix and the especially the new music mix, they're not nearly as accurate or as honestly mind-blowing like the way that Spotify knows me and this goes back to the acquisition of Spotify of the Echo Nest the music API platform that they acquired years ago such a great investment in that platform and that's the reason why Spotify is just so much better they have years and honestly I think billions of data points on what a song is like what it, what genre what you know what kind of chords that a song contains so it's just more intelligent and the recommendations once you start feeding data and data into spotify it just becomes eerily accurate and so i cannot choose but when i think about it the fact that spotify is everywhere and that i can take this intelligence everywhere that's um you know that i'm, I'm using Sp spotify is on my home screen now I have Apple Music on the second screen on my iPhone, <laughs> and uh, it's it was the reason why I put the Amazon Echo back in my living room. Um, I don't know. And so, so, so what, what you're saying is you have a, a day streaming service and a night streaming service. Uh, mm, yes, that's <laughs> that's what I, that's what it's the it's the multi multi music lifestyle. It's there a it's go. an extension it's an extension of the multi pad lifestyle. It, it, it's trickling yeah. down into music streaming services, into speakers, <laughs> into you know all kinds of all kinds of things could benefit from the multi approach. The multi life. You, you got to live the multi yeah. life. Mike, <laughs> Mike, take us home. I think we're done. If you want to find our show notes this week, relay.fm/connected/slash one six eight. Thanks again to Eero, Squarespace, and Hover for supporting this week's show. If you want to find Federico online, he is at Vitici. Stephen is at ISMH. And they write at maxstories.net and fire2pixels.net, respectively. My name is at my iMike, I guess. My mm -hmm. word, what am I doing? I'm at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. I'm not going to be here next week. Uh, I'm taking a vacation, which I think my brain requires right now. I think I, I just can't do this anymore, so I'm going to go away for a bit. Uh, but I'll be back the week after. Um, and, of course, I'm sure you'll be hearing many tales of my demise. Um, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.